You're listening to the Farmyard Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Farmyard. It's a movement, have you heard? And our Patreon supporters. Mix your own potting soil with host Linda Borgie and guest Evan Folds. Well, hello there. Linda Borgie here from Farmyard. It's a movement, have you heard? How are you today? I am recording this in the month of January. Boy, this weather. Talk about kooky. One day it's 66 degrees. The next day it's 32 degrees. But boy, when it was 66 degrees, I was out there. Uh, My friend Janet Johnson has two compost bins in the backyard black ones, and I never used bins. I only, I only made piles. So uh, I disassembled them. They were frozen solid, but I chipped away, chip, 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 chip with those, and I was able to make a pile with her grass clippings and this and that. That's because I am longing for spring, and God knows when I'm longing for spring, it's really the soil that I want to get my feet in and my hands in, and I have a great guest today. This guest has been on our Farmyard podcast before, Mr. Evan Folds. I call him our soil doctor because when anyone has a problem with their soil, that's who we immediately get on the line. And what he's going to do for us today is he's going to take us down the road to creating some of our own potting soil because that's the next step, right? That's the first thing that we're going to do after we collect all our seed catalogs and get our packets in. Next thing we're going to do is start to, uh, you know, sow some seeds in our trays, get our babies ready. So let me bring them on. Evan, are you there? Evan. I'm here. Hey, honey. How are you? Great, Lana. How are you? I am so good. I mean, out of anyone, you are really my favorite person because it's all about the soil now, isn't it? Mm, you said it. Say no more. God Almighty! I mean, we need to, we need to get a really good relationship with our soil. And I know Evan has some really great things planned for the future, but I'm not going to spill the beans right here with everything today. It's just going to be potting mix, right, Evan? Why don't you tell uh, us a little bit about what we're doing and how we should go about it? Well, yeah, that's uh, let's see the softball question. If you're making, you know, buying potting soil. As you know, if you're a gardener, uh, is expensive, particularly if you're a container gardener. And you know, one of the experiences that I've had in the past is developing compost tea recipes and leveraging microbes for soil and being able to reuse potting soil. Um, you know, which is not an idea that a lot of people have. Um, but so we can talk about all of that. But to kind of you know cut to the chase on making your own soil, you, you just have to keep the plant in mind. And uh, I think that's a, a really uh, proper way to start. You know, the roots want to breathe. Um, they, they also want to be able to eat and drink water. So, you know, you need the soil to retain moisture and you need it to drink. Uh, call it 50-50 if it makes it easy to think about. So you know, the, the first step is really kind of considering uh, the physical factors of, of the, the potting mix um, and, you know, the, the mineral factors in terms of the value add that you're putting in there, the microbes. And if you get those components um, within range, uh, you should have some pretty stellar results. So but most of what you're saying, though, is most of these ingredients are ingredients that we could get uh, easily and readily 
in our neighborhood, in our towns? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the downfalls of the analytical mindset, if you'll call it that, you know, when I I used to own a retail store called Progressive Gardens, and you'd get the architect that would come in with the book that was following the directions to the T. And in some ways, that's understandable. And and, in others, it it somewhat defeats the purpose of the dynamic nature of, of nature, if you will. So, you know, as far as the materials, there's nothing really revolutionary in a potting soil. What they've done is answered those questions. Of how do we physically set it up? How do we minerally set it up in terms of the fertility that the plant wants, uh, not just what it has to have? And very few potting soils really address the, the microbial, the biological component. Um, so, you know, to kind of back that down, 90, maybe 95% of a bag potting soil you buy in a garden center it's just either peat moss and core fiber for the water retention and perlite most of the time, uh, sometimes rice holes, sometimes sand. Um, but the idea being that, you know, soil, if you were going to try to define it, which is arguably impossible, is made up of, of sand, uh, clay, and organic matter. The, the sand is like the perlite. It's, it doesn't retain any moisture. It's what's there to allow drainage. Uh, the clay is there for what's called the cation exchange capacity. It's what holds the, the, the energetically, the, 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 the ions of the fertilizer, if you will, not to be too technical, in the soil. And the organic matter does that as well, and the clay and the organic matter both retain moisture. So when you're making a potting soil, you typically don't deal with clay. That's more of kind of a natural in-the-earth type of uh, mindset. You're, you're really looking to balance the drainage with the water retention. And peat moss does that fine. It's getting more expensive because it's somewhat of a finite resource. Um, core fiber is a real popular one because it, it's a renewable uh, byproduct of the coconut industry, so it kind of never runs out in that respect. What is um, peat moss, if you could tell our listeners exactly what peat moss is? Yeah, it's basically uh, as close to inert as you can get. It's in ancient uh, peat bogs. Uh, a lot of uh, the peat moss that is purchased in the U.S. comes from Canada, and it's mined. Uh, meaning there's, it, it will run out in, in certain reservoirs. Um, and it basically is, is known to be very acidic, which kind of sounds like it's battery acid kind of you know, posture. And, and we won't go too far down what pH means. But basically what that means is demineralized. It doesn't have a lot of – it doesn't really have anything that your plant wants to eat. What it, it's really like a sponge, if you will. Um, and so that, that's – the fact that it's cheap um, and accessible is really why most potting soils are set up to, to use peat moss. Is there a certain formula, like so much peat moss and so much sand? And, you know, is there some kind of a recipe that you would give your customers when you had your retail store? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's again, it's not strict in any way. Um, square foot gardening is, is one that people latch onto. And they're, the, the reason that people gravitate towards it is because it tells them exactly what to do. Right. And there's nothing really, really wrong with that. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, 75% peat moss, uh, you know, 20% uh, perlite, and, uh, you know, 5% in terms of the, the nutritional meals or, or materials that you wanted to put into the mix. And if you're in, if you're anywhere in that range, you're fine. Um, the more perlite that you would put into the mix, let's say you did 10% instead of 20%, you wouldn't want to water as much. And maybe that's what you want to do. You want to be able to go out of town for a couple of days. Um, whereas somebody that, that would have like a 20 25% perlite mix would want to water more often or feed more often, let's say, to push their plants to grow faster. So, you know, a lot of it, it just depends on how much attention you want to pay to it um, rather than really right or wrong, if you will. 
And does it does it make a difference how long it's going to be in that particular vessel? In terms of uh, the plant growing in the medium? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, it, you know, it, again, it's somewhat relative. You know, I, I'll never forget uh, a lady that used to come into Progressive Gardens. She had the same cherry tomato plant for eight years at the point that I met her. Really? And, yeah, she just brought the plant into her garage like you do a citrus oh. in a pot and brought it out in the spring and it just regenerated. So that was the first moment I'd ever really realized that tomatoes weren't an annual plant. Um so, you know, the longer you leave it in a, in a pot, the more you got to focus on fertilization. And you really need to do that anyway if you have it contained in it. You know, you can't really – the holy grail is to set up a, a, a growing season with a potting mix that all you got to do is water it. And frankly, I haven't seen anybody figure it out. Um, will the plant stay alive? You know, yeah, probably. But it, it's not going to produce in the way that you would want or expect. So – you know, fertilization comes into it if you're talking about containers. And obviously, there's so many different variables. If you're in a raised bed, maybe that's a little bit of a different scenario. Um, but you kind of have to take it, you know, point by point from, from the application more so than a generality. Right, right, of course. The other thing that I that is very uh, – uh, that I have found from my personal experience anyway is with the peat moss, it is so hard to get it wet. Is there any tricks of the trade? You know, not really, no. other than just stubbornness and, you know, breaking it up and creating as much surface area as you can. You know, most of the time when you do get it wet, uh, you know, it, it stays in that in that posture. But that's actually a lot of the, the reason that people like the core fiber. Um, you know, core fiber tends to retain moisture in the same capacity. But, you know, sometimes over longer periods of time, peat moss can kind of break down and get a little muddy. Uh, core fiber tends to hold up a little bit better. Um but it's, it's just really kind of being dogged about it more than anything. Not, not really any trick. You know, wetting agents can be used. Um, you can actually circulate the water, um, you know, back and forth and create implosion. And, and the circulation will break the surface tension of your solution down. So you can, you know, think about things like that. But um, it's just a matter of doing it once, typically. And then you're, the area, the, the percentage of that you're putting into this mix that's for nutrition. Could that, could that portion be compost? Yeah, it compost is you know would be the organic matter component, okay. um, and and yeah you know that's a good point that you make. I you know put ten percent compost in there if you have it uh, available, um, and that's that's really the most important aspect of that is is the microbes. Um, if you're making healthy compost, that's a really good way of introducing diverse microorganisms to your soil, which are you know really what define healthy soil. Um, not unlike you know someone's gut and and, and a human body, you know. Um, the, the importance of parallels or, or life in that capacity. But, you know, the compost itself tends to be looked at as a fertilizer and just kind of creates a vocabulary. I, I tend to think of fertilizer as something with a significant NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, that can support the growth of the macronutrients of the plant in an inert environment. Think like a hydroponics situation. You know, if you, if you were trying to grow plants in water and all you put in there was compost, there's not going to be enough fertilizer there for the plant to produce. So typically when you're setting up a potting soil, particularly if you're only using it seasonally and throwing it away at the end of every season, you really have to bring that NPK to have the results that you want, particularly for the heavier feeders like tomatoes or peppers or something like that. Um, so the compost is going to bring the microbes, but I, I would not suggest that you rely on that for your fertility. There's just compost as a material is generally not um, – uh, fortified with enough nutrition to support plant growth on its own. 
unless the situation is biologically mature after a couple of seasons. You can start to rely on the microbes in a composting application with no fertilizer. But starting off with, a, especially when you're creating your own potting mix, it's really important to bring some aspect of you know alfalfa meal. Lots of people like to use blood meals or bone meals, and you can look at you know look at it from a diversity standpoint. It's not so much exactly what you need to put in there in the right ratios. It's more a, a little bit of everything will get you down the road. Uh, and a good fertilizer will kind of you know push the plant along as you go. So why don't you go over those percentages again? Yeah, so you know I, I like your compost input. I'd say you know seventy percent peat moss, ten percent compost. Um, you know, fifteen percent perlite, five percent uh, you know meals. Meals, five percent yeah. meals. And, and, I, and I'll just kind of create a, a disclaimer there. I, I'm coming at that from a very general standpoint. You know, I, I haven't. I haven't experienced the specificity that is delivered in a lot of applications as being relevant. I, I like to more let people use their intuition, understand that plants, you know, the material needs to drain. And, and the good part about the ratio thing is it's going to get you started in the right vein. But you might find that if you used 20% perlite versus 10%, that it drains more to, than you're liking. And that's, you know, as you know, farming is not... You can't read a book on farming, right? It's like you, you got to do it. And then once you experience how it works, you change it and you learn and you know. So, you know, use those ratios accordingly, but don't don't feel that they're right, particularly for the crop that you're growing in, in the environment that you're in. And I have one further question. The area that we were discussing insofar as compost is concerned, would mm -hmm. mushroom compost be something that could be supplemented if you didn't have any of your own compost on hand? Yeah, that, it's a good question. That, in my opinion, the short answer is no. Okay. Um, now, mushroom compost is not uh, its not worthless. It's just the word compost is used very liberally there. Um, and, you know, in, in my book, compost is a, a natural source of diverse microorganisms. Uh, what mushroom compost is spent peat moss, and they do put some nutritional, it, it's somewhat defined, actually. If you look up what mushroom compost is, you'll see that the focus is more on the materials that pH balance the, the organic matter for the cultivation of mushrooms, of fungi, of specific strains of fungi, right? Whereas compost in a, in a more direct and literal sense should be looked at from a microbial diversity standpoint. You can't, you know, we know 5% of bacteria, 10% of fungi at the rate of discovery. There's thousands of different species of bacteria that we know, for example. You're not going to get that diversity, biologically speaking, from mushroom compost at all because the focus is more keeping it sanitized and inert so that you're not contaminating the mushroom, mushroom cultivation. The reason that it's popularized is because of its consistency and because of it being inert and not being contaminated and having some element of fertilization to it and it being cheap. Um, but the biological value of mushroom compost would not replace the humus, if so, you will. So that would really be something that would replace or could replace the peat or the soy. Yeah, yeah, you could use it in that capacity. Absolutely, it would be a good. It would be. I would. I would argue that mushroom compost is more valuable to the plant than peat moss. Um, gotcha. You know, and they both retain moisture. So yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Wonderful. Well, gee, I really thank you for coming on, Evan. That's really great to give all this information. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, use me. I'm, I'm looking forward to being a little more regular contributor to your project and, you know, think the world of you. So any, any way that I can help, please let me know. Well, the soil doctor, yeah, we'll have you on again, and we're going to give you some avenues 
uh, the listeners, we want the listeners to know that I'm going to give you some avenues to be able to connect Evan to you directly. And that's going to happen in the near future now, isn't it, Evan? Yes, ma'am. All hands up. Thank you, honey. Thanks again. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I really appreciate that uh, that you you spend your precious time here listening to this important information. I would love for you to spread the word, share it with everyone. Please subscribe and download your. Uh, in fact, if you could just uh, you know email me and let me know what your favorite episode is. It's interesting to see the ones that are trending, and I would like to thank all of our Patreon supporters. We could not do it without our Patreon supporters. So there you go, folks. I will see you on the flip side, and until then, go farm your yard. This podcast is community-supported. We thank everyone for tuning in, and a special thank you goes out to all our Patreon supporters. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe and share. You can help support us through Farmyard, all one word, on patreon.com.